All he did was almost record double-digit sacks. Steps up in the pocket and goes down. Guess who? Aiden Hutchinson. Here's a guy who has the work ethic and the talent. Now Willis taking a shot for the end zone, and it's caught. First of all, I think Malik Willis from Liberty and Kenny Pickett from Pitt may even be gone by the time they pick at 50. Welcome back to another week of First Draft. I'm Jason Fitz, Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay. You're used to seeing Field Yates in this spectacular seat, but for the next 45 minutes or so, I'm going to keep it warm. Why? Because Field is a proud, proud dad. Let's all give a little warm welcome to Field's, the newest addition to the Yates family, Kinley Page Yates, born Friday night. It is a fact. Kinley has never seen a bad NFL playoff game. There you go. Beautiful mom and daughter, both incredibly healthy. Everybody happy. We couldn't be happier for Field Yates. So... For the next 45 minutes or so, I'll keep Field's seat warm and we'll bring in some of the best experts that we have at ESPN with the draft. You know them well, Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay. Happy to be with you guys. For anybody that's new to the format here, we are here streaming live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all of the places you can get us the ESPN app every Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern. We give you some uh, some takes here and everything you need to know about the draft. You can follow everybody on Twitter to get caught up on it. Also, every Thursday, Mel, Todd, and Field, and this week me, uh, will kick off the show to take a deeper dive into the draft with a podcast so uh, we get a round table of guests there you get all sorts of opportunity to get caught up on everything you might have missed while you were watching the NFL and these guys were breaking down every inch of college tape there is so with that being said now the formalities are out of the way gentlemen let's have a little bit of fun and dive into some draft here we'll start with a mock draft because everybody gets fired up about the mock drafts and Mel put out mock draft 1.0 last week this is the great opportunity opportunity for Todd to grade said draft. Todd, what did you think of Mel's mock? Well, listen, Mel's my guy, so I'm not going to give him anywhere in that failing range with an F or a D, but I I thought it was a nice start. It was cute. You know, he he had most of the players on there that I would have. Not all. We can get into that, but I'll give him a C minus, minus, minus. I mean, that's still, you're not, you're not getting a D, Kuiper. And let's face it, Kuiper, with all these grades, every, every team you grade in the, in the draft at the end of the year, it's, it's A minus to, to C minus. So you never give out that D and F, and you rarely give out an A or an A plus. So I have to keep you in that range, and I went to the bottom of the barrel for you. Only the best for you, Kuiper. Like I care. Uh, which your grade is, number one. And number two, I do give A's and A-pluses, uh, and I don't give D's that often. There has been a few over the last uh, 40 years, but you're even inaccurate on how I grade because I have given some D's and I have given some A's and A-pluses, so I'm not just in the C to, to B-plus category, Todd, but uh, it is funny. And remember, it's Mach 1.0, and it is going to change. We have five of these mock drafts leading up to the draft, and obviously ratings do change. I always say if you're, if you're stubborn, you're stupid, and you got to be fluid with these ranks. And that's why yep. your opinions will change. So that's what we do. It's like the stock market. It was stock up, stock down. That's what we do. That's why we have these updated ratings board and these mock drafts that are updated every three or four weeks. Yeah. Now, look, I, I can attest to Mel you. here. Go ahead, Todd. No, I was just going to say, I've got a few questions as we kind of run through this thing. And the first one is, it's not an attack. I just out of general curiosity uh, we'll get to Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame, a little bit later and, and dive okay. in on him. But I'm curious, first of all, at, at the number four pick, I think you had the Jets taking Kyle Hamilton. Were you 
were you kind of debating one of the top corners? I know you had Ahmad uh, Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati as your first corner after, off the board uh, before Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU. Or did you even debate possibly one of the offensive linemen? I know you had Evan Neal, I think, going three in this mock draft. Uh, just ahead of the Jets, but you still had a couple offensive tackles come off the board just after that. So what was the thought process on number four with the Jets? Well, I had the top two pass rushers, Hutchinson and Thibodeau, gone. I had Evan Neal gone. So you look at, okay, are you going to look at uh, Ika McWanu from NC State? You could. Uh, are you going to look at Derek Stingley Jr. or Sauce Gardner? You could. I think it would be a stretch for both of those guys at four. One of Kyle Hamilton is sitting there. Granted, he had the injury in late October, but he'll be fine. They need a safety, and he is more than just a safety. He's a rangy, tall, athletic, do-it-all type, uh, you know, really back-end performer who can also become basically a linebacker safety combo guy and his range and his athletic ability separates him from any safety true safety in the recent draft so he's a different entity entirely and I think for the Jets who need a player like this uh, he makes a lot of sense and they have another pick right after that I gave them Drake London the wide receiver from USC to give him a big target for Zach Wilson to compliment really Elijah Moore Braxton Berrios they have Davis as well but Drake London is a special player as well and ironically both he and Hamilton were injured in late October and I have them both going to the New York Jets. So as far as Hamilton's concerned, he's not just a safety. He's an all-around player. We had Isaiah Simmons coming out a few years ago. It's kind of similar in that regard. Uh, I think Hamilton's perfect for the way the game's played today in the NFL, and he brings an incredible amount of talent to that secondary. And I think Sala will be, Robert Sala will be very excited if they, they get him at four to bring him into the fold. All right, let's move down to pick number 11. That's, that, to me, was the yeah. uh, kind of the, the most intriguing pick, if you will, out of, out of your entire Mach 1.0. And the reason I, it jumped out to me, first of all, it's the first quarterback off the board. The Washington football team takes Malik Willis from Liberty. Why Willis in that spot when Willis is past, when we've done television on ESPN, you know, your rankings, he's kind of been number three or number four in terms of your quarterbacks. But then, listen, I even took notes for this thing. I know you're proud of me. You wrote, I actually went uh -oh. back, this might be the first time I ever took uh -oh. the time to read your text <laughs> in a mock draft, Kuiper. I'm getting into and your head now. You I know I got into your head when quote. you're taking notes. Okay. <laughs> De definitely. Put simply, Willis is the most talented quarterback in this class. So when we talked the other day on TV, you said, well, it's about who I'm talking to in the league and, and what I'm hearing. And, and I, I have to say, okay, I don't know who you're talking to. I don't know those conversations. But you've had him ranked as the third or fourth best quarterback in this class throughout the process. And now here you say, simply put, he's the most quarterback in this class. What say you, Kuiper? most talented quarterback in this class, which he is, and he has been all along. Now, you could be the most talented and still have hiccups, and you can have some spurts where you don't look that good. He was red hot the first five games of the year. Outstanding. He had a great 2020 campaign. Completed 64% of his passes, 20 touchdowns, six picks. He rushed for almost 1,000 yards. First five games this year, 65% or better in every game, 11 touchdowns, no picks. Then he had the three picks against Middle Tennessee State, three picks against Louisiana Monroe, struggled against Ole Miss. But uh, you go back, and I say talent tied because of Josh Allen. I believed in the talent. Justin Herbert believed in the talent. They weren't the first quarterback taken the years they came out, but talent won out in the NFL. I like Kenny Pickett. I still have Kenny Pickett as my number one quarterback. I compare him to Derek Carr. I have Willis now number two, Matt Corral number three. So the fluidity of ratings, they change, they evolve. I'm going to bet on the talent of Willis to put him at two while I put him at one. Hey, they're going to be at the Senior Bowl. The only quarterback won't be 
of the top five is Matt Corral. So you're going to see Desmond Ritter. Remember, Todd, I liked him. I didn't like him in the Alabama game, though. I would have liked to see him something special in that game. Give me something to hang my hat on. He didn't deliver. Four passes batted down. He's airmailing throws. He's missing Alec Pierce for a touchdown. He didn't play well. He looked overwhelmed. So I want to see him down there. Maybe I'll reassess that. Uh, but I think it's going to get down to Pickett, Willis, and Corral. Those three to determine who's going to be QB1 by the time we get to April 28th. Yeah. Okay. So let me let me hop in here. I'm gonna. I'll zip my lips. I'm gonna I'm gonna hop in here. I'm gonna ask you a quarterback question here, and I'll throw this to Todd because you know all this conversation about quarterbacks. There are so many NFL teams that need them. My question is, when you look at this group of quarterbacks, where would they have fared in, let's say, last year's class? How good is this class overall? Well, we saw five go in the first fifteen last year. Uh, I think it was three. The first three picks were uh, were quarterbacks, and in my opinion, based off of my grades this year compared compared to last year's grades, I think it would have been the, the first five guys from last year, and then we would have gotten into discussion. You know, is Kenny Pickett next from Pittsburgh? Is it Malik Willis from Liberty? Who's going to be the sixth quarterback off the board? But I, I think you would start at number six as the jumping off point. I would agree. No, you agree? I'll, I'll say this just to reiterate to reiterate to our listeners, guys, and our viewers. We're, mock drafts are not about our rankings. So you say, well, you said this, you said that. It's not about what we said or didn't say about a player. It's about who we're talking to. And if you have to separate guys and you get a – say you talk to four guys and two are one way, two are another way on a player, you got to separate that by what your gut feel is. But by and large, this is what people in the league, our sources in the league are telling us, not what we think. So just make that distinction between mock draft and our ratings boards. They're completely different. So it's not going to always look at – you can look at the rankings. Why would you have – I was your fourth quarterback. You didn't go in here. It doesn't matter. The mock draft is about what we're hearing, not what we think. And that's why I say, when you look at Malik Willis, I think by the time we get to late April, he may be the first quarterback taken. And I had people saying exactly what I wrote. The most talented quarterbacks have had great success in this league. Coach them up. Tweak a couple things. Take the guy with the highest ceiling. and be has the great upside. And, and let's roll the dice with that player, particularly in a draft this year where you say it doesn't compare to last year's. Well, take a shot on Malik Willis. Like I say, if Kenny Pickett it's Derek Carr. The team that drafted Kenny Pickett is going to be very happy. He's got 50 starts under his belt. He's going to be a 24-year-old rookie. Had a phenomenal year for Mark Whipple, who was the coordinator there now at Nebraska. Accurate, can move enough, roll right, roll left, make accurate throws. The glove, the hand size, that'll all come into play. But I still really like Kenny Pickett. And Malik Willis, like I said, he's got that thick upper body. He's a powerful kid. He's fast. He surprises people with that deceptive speed and that deceptive strength. Uh, if he lights it up in Mobile, uh, he's going to really be a guy that's going to maybe end up in that top ten. Maybe Atlanta. That's the one team I thought about giving the – was the Atlanta Falcons at eight. They passed on quarterbacks last year, the heir apparent to Ryan. They passed on the heir apparent this year. If Willis is really strong in this draft process over the next 94 days leading up to the draft, I think Malik Willis could end up in Atlanta Falcon at pick number eight. Feels like there's a lot of quarterback-hungry teams. We'll see how they move up the board as they continue to look over a class that may not be as exciting, but somebody's going to reach. Now, it's not that long ago that I was sitting yelling at my TV at both of you, and frankly, that's part of what we love to do here. So we're going to let the armchair GMs chime in from Twitter, and we got a bunch of tweets in reaction to some of your picks. The first tweet from comes from your boy T.O. Sports, who said, in reaction to Derek Stingley Jr. Uh, being taken by the Falcons, if Stingley falls to the Falcons, at eight, 
I am celebrating. So, you know, there's there's some joy. That's the beginning of it. Not all joy, though. Tweet number two goes back to Malik Willis, who you just mentioned. Malik Willis, uh, Brandon Pyle chimes in and says, Mel Kuyper has Malik Willis going 11 in the draft, the first quarterback off the board. I personally love this pick. Malik would be a great fit for Washington. I would love to see him throwing bombs to AGT and McLaurin on Sunday. See, guys, so far, Todd, so far, it's all praise for Mel. Yeah, he's living in a good good neighborhood right now. It's it's nice to have. But the, the Stingley thing's interesting because because if you go back and study Derek Stingley at LSU as a freshman, 2019, and that great season that the Tigers had, I mean, I would have drafted him as the first cornerback coming out that year. I mean, that's how talented he was. Six interceptions, ball hawk, lockdown corner, fresh out of high school, showed no fear going up against these these great SEC wide receivers, and and the entire season just played with a lot of confidence. Then he comes back the last two seasons, and if you were to evaluate him just, and you never saw 2019, you'd say, well, you know, maybe he's a later first round pick and a guy we can develop, but man, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. It just didn't seem like he was playing with the same fire and the passion and wasn't making the same plays on the ball that he was. So he's a tough evaluation in a cornerback class that's absolutely loaded. We talked about Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, uh, Trent McDuffie, from, from Washington, Roger McCreary from uh, from Auburn, Andrew Booth Jr. from, from Clemson, Kair Elam from Florida. I mean, there are a bunch of guys that are competing to go in that first round at the cornerback spot. It's going to be interesting to see with Stingley where he winds up landing because based on pure talent and what he was in 2019, he's a top five pick. But that might not happen for him because of what happened on the field and what happened with the durability issues the last two years. All right, let's go to wide receiver here because we've got a bunch of wide receiver tweets and reactions. Tweet number three came in from Buckeyed Sam, and this is about Garrett Wilson going to the Browns at 13. His, his tweet, I think Wilson's going to be special in the NFL and potentially one of the better Ohio State wide receivers to come out. I like Michael Thomas, but I think Wilson will be better. We need wide receivers bad and would love to get him in the draft. Then you've got Jamison Williams going 21 to the Patriots. Bank six says, yes, not even a question if he's there at 21 automatic. I'll get one more in here because these are all wide receivers. Drake London, you've got going to the Jets, and Kringle says, he's slow, doesn't have shiftiness, he can't generate separation, his draft stock is purely based on projection that he'll improve drastically, he's Hakeem Butler, and Whiteside more than Mike Evans. So Mel, defend your concepts on wide receivers and how you actually grade these guys to figure out where they're going to go. Yeah, Drake London's a power forward. He's got that frame. You see the ball skills. You see the guy who dropped in the games I watched one pass. That was it. And he was targeted an awful lot until he was injured. Uh, yeah, he's a big receiver. You can throw it up to. And obviously, you think about Zach Wilson helping out your young quarterback. And that's what you want to do if you're Joe Douglas. So you help out uh, with, with Drake London. You help the defense as well, getting Kyle Hamilton. But to go back to Derek Stingley Jr., like Todd said, you're talking about talent winning out. Well, Drake London's got an awful lot of talent as well. He's a mismatch with that size and that physicality and that length that he brings and those ball skills. So I compare him to a Plaxico Burris to a Mike Evans. And I think he goes in that top 10 to 15 range. Now the injury, obviously, had he finished with eight games, he had 88 catches and eight games. Now had he played the full season, those numbers would have been through the roof. So obviously I, I like Drake London. I like Kyle Hamilton. Why? Because of length. And I, one thing I look at more than anything with football players outside of quarterbacks and running backs is arm length. And Todd, we talk about it a lot. Arm length allows you to maybe 
maybe get that pass breakup that you wouldn't have gotten, get that tackle you wouldn't have had, intercept that pass, catch that ball. Arm length for every position but quarterback and running back is huge for me, and we'll know that pretty soon on these kids, and that will be a difference in terms of grades that I put when I finalize this thing in late April. Yeah, there was, there was no receiver in the country that did a better job and was more efficient. And, and this goes to studying tape and, and comparing the numbers for all receivers. No one was more efficient on contested throws and in the red zone. So you automatically, with that length, it's not like he's this big, tall, long guy who is kind of shy going up and getting the ball. I mean, he's got that basketball background, and you see it on the football field going up and getting the rebound, if you will, in those situations, jump balls and, and, and in the red zone. And the other thing is – for such a long levered guy with the long arms and long legs, he's pretty nifty after the catch. I mean, he makes defenders miss. You saw in that, that highlight reel jumping over guys. Uh, he's strong no after the catch as well. We'll drag some cornerbacks for extra yards at the end. So I like Drake London a lot. I would have had Jamison Williams as the number one receiver before the injury that he suffered, the ACL, that's going to cost him time as a rookie. And I understand why Jamison falls because of that. But it would have been Williams first and then kind of the rest of the group. But Drake London would have been number two. Now it's Drake London going up with, you know, uh, Garrett Wilson and, and Chris Olave in terms of competing to be that number one receiver off the board. And I would have no problem at all if London, who was the best receiver in college football, let's face it, during those eight games in the entire country, I would have no problem with London being the first receiver off the board right around where Mel has him going. Now, not everybody is pleased with everything in a mock draft. We know that the Jets fans are always going to have high expectations, especially with two picks in the top 10. So when it comes to the Jets in this draft, play like a Jet had a tweet for Mel here. As uh, everybody knows, we got Drake London and Kyle Hamilton going in this first mock. And the tweet is, Kuiper has hashtag Jets taking Kyle Hamilton and Drake London, which is pretty much the worst scenario I could ever come up with. So hopefully that's not how this plays out. Mal, why do Jets fans hate this? Well, I like play like a Jet. I respect all these guys' opinions because that's what I say. Fans have a right. Everybody's a right to have an opinion. I like to talk to play like a Jet and bring him on this podcast and say, okay, if that's the worst case scenario, Hamilton, London, what's your best case scenario, play like a Jet? Give me a couple names that are realistic and we'll have a nice debate here. So I invite play like a Jet to come on and join us next week. Aiden, he'll give you Aiden Hutchinson and, and uh, Evan Neal. The best, the best edge rusher. Let's see. I'd like to see. That'll, yeah. that'll be what he wants. Yeah. yeah, well, Kyle Hamilton is somebody that's obviously special. We all know that. It'll be interesting to see where he goes through this process. Mel, you're not the only person who likes Hamilton to the Jets. Jordan Reed had this to say on Thursday from First Draft's audio-only episode. Check it out. If you were Joe Douglas, what would be your top positions of need? I want to throw a wild card in there. And Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. And I think that's going to bring... A lot of reluctance to Jets fans. I know people are going to be like, man, what is this guy talking about? But just let me explain myself. With Kyle Hamilton, I think he brings a different type of skill set than what Marcus May and then also Jamal Adams bought to the forefront. And you get you find yourself in trouble a lot when you're reaching for need, especially in the top 10 of the draft. You want to make sure when you're selecting that early that you get players that can help you right away. And I think Kyle Hamilton definitely can bring that to the table. He could play high post, single high safety. He could come down and play run support in the box, but also he can cover. And then the Jets defense was historically bad last year. Only had seven interceptions, Mm -hmm. which was the second worst rate in the NFL. And then they were the worst defense in the league a year ago. So why not take a player like a Kyle Hamilton with the number four overall selection? I think it's a situation of where they just need to collect and get the best player possible. Todd, your thoughts? 
I don't disagree with it. I really don't. I think, like I said before, I think you could have gone offensive line there if you felt good. If Evan Neal was sitting there at four, or Equanu from from North Carolina State, who, who Mel, I agree with Mel. He, he's really rising, and he, and he rose in this mock draft for Kuiper. Uh, but but Kyle Hamilton, the thing you're getting, especially with Jamal Adams leaving via the trade uh, to Seattle, and then also you know with with uh, Marcus May. You know, he, he had a great season until injury. He was playing really well for the Jets during his career. But he's, he's set to, you know, be a free agent. Is he going to leave uh, as a free agent? And he's coming off that injury, and you don't know if he's going to be the same guy. So it would make a lot of sense. And Hamilton brings in, obviously, ball hawking skills, a lot of range in coverage, and the run support, a lot of range in that, that area, too. But then the leadership, too. I mean, this guy is football smart. He loves the game. And he's kind of a centerpiece that you can build around in that in that secondary and really on the entire defense for the Jets. And Lord knows, after watching the Jets all season long on the defensive side, they need difference makers and they need guys that are going to set the tone moving forward for this organization on that side of the ball. All right, so we'll, we'll uh, obviously keep breaking this down over the course of the next several weeks, the next several months. We're just getting started on this, but we also know that if you're listening to this, you're likely a huge NFL fan, which means you should check out the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny. It's a podcast that gets you latest news and trends in and around the NFL. Join Mina and guests such as NFL analyst Dominique Foxworth, NFL insider and first draft host Field Yates, and ESPN Radio's Mike Golick Jr. If you like X's and O's, analytics, and probably too much talking about dogs, Lenny is a dog, then give the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny a listen wherever you get your podcasts. Next week's edition of this show is going to be largely focused on the Senior Bowl, but for those of you that can't wait, there's a real question to be had now about the impact this can have for the opportunity for the Lions and Jets for their coaching staffs that are going to be coaching in this game. Todd, what what can it mean for those two organizations? I think it's a huge advantage. Just look at the percentage of numbers that are drafted by Senior Bowl staffs that were coaching at the Senior Bowl compared to the, the other 30 organizations. That shows you right away. And, and you know, yes, it's great to see what's go, what goes on in practice on the field and what goes on in the game on Saturdays, but everyone can see that. I mean, fans from Mobile, Alabama can come in and, and get a pass and watch practice. What you get to know, though, is the player. How does he, you know, does he show up early for meetings? Is he ready and prepared? When you put something like an installation up on the board, is he able to not only pick it up in the meeting, but then transfer it to practice that day? And that does that, whatever technique you've worked on in in uh, Tuesday's practice, is it translating to Thursday's practice and then the game on Saturday? Those are the things that you just don't know unless you're working with them. And, and then just the personalities. How do you get along with them? Do, do they seem to be responding well to your coaching, whether it's hard coaching or, or just you know explanations or technique work? So there's so much to, to glean from the experience having these, these quarterbacks. The quarterbacks and all the players, I was thinking just specifically the quarterbacks, obviously not a need for the Jets, uh, but for Detroit, maybe it's that second pick in the first round uh, where they go quarterback. And we talked about a bunch of guys like Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, Sam Howell uh, from, from North Carolina as possibilities. They're going to be coaching any quarterback that could be on the board with that second first round pick. They're going to be either coaching them or against them in this, this game. So they're going to have a great opportunity, the Lions will, to get to know all of these quarterbacks. Yeah, Mel, in your, Mel, in your mind, where's the biggest advantage for these coaching staffs? Like just being there and obviously getting to know these kids and, and seeing their work ethic and their passion for the game and obviously out there to seeing how quickly they figure things out. 
Okay, schematically in terms of the communication, the for the quarterbacks are concerned. That's why Mac Jones really got a big bump last year. He was communicating, getting the play, communicating it to the huddle, getting up, getting the play run. Everything was so much in sync and so easy for him. So from the quarterback standpoint, you got four of the top five in Mobile. You got the Detroit Lions thinking, okay, hey, we got, we need a quarterback to come in here. We got two picks early and one late. Well, we can maybe look at a quarterback in the latter portion of the first round. It could be Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati. Could be Sam Howell, North Carolina. Both are going to be there with you. And they're going to both be there in, in Mobile. If not with your team, they're going to be on the other side, and they're going to be playing against them. So, again, when you have that ability, it's a huge advantage to being around these kids, seeing how serious they are about their business. They become a pro when they get down there. College days are over. You're a professional. Do you act professional? Do you think that way? Is everything about you an NFL player at that point in this process? Very important. And, and certainly there's some players that we'll be looking at as well down there. And, and the one guy that I want to highlight and getting away from the quarterbacks is Logan Hall. Logan Hall from Houston. And Todd, you know him very well. Kid had a heck of a year. And with COVID and all the interruptions and all the distractions and everything these kids had to deal with mentally, physically, with COVID now over the last two years, he was quiet. He was under the radar. Didn't do a lot. He flashed, but he wasn't out there dominating. And he was much more disruptive this year for Houston than for the Houston Cougars. Logan Hall is 6'6", 280 pounds roughly, can carry more weight, has versatility inside and outside. He had 13 tackles for loss. He had six sacks. He popped on tape when I watched him. Peyton Turner went in the late first round out of this program last year. Logan Hall, Senior Bowl week, we watch very closely because talent is important at the pro level one for college. Incredible talent. Who has it? Who can be coached up? and really go and become a Pro Bowl caliber player and who presents steam versatility. Logan Hall has all that. He put it together at the exactly the right time this past season when he was coming into the NFL draft. I almost put him in the late first round. I'm going to wait it out, wait for Senior Bowl week, and then maybe in Mach 2.0, Todd, he could be in that 20 to 32 range. Logan Hall, one of the more intriguing defensive linemen in this draft. Yeah, I, I like Logan Hall a lot. I, I'm with you. I have an early second-round grade on him, and his versatility is, is part of the reason. With so many defenses in the NFL trying to be multiple, whether it's a three-man front, four-man front, playing inside, playing outside, it just gives flexibility to defensive coordinators. And Hall is one of many guys, not only in the Senior Bowl, but in this draft class that can provide that opportunity. Marcus Jones, his teammate, I can't wait to watch Marcus Jones, the cornerback from Houston. This guy, he's electrifying on tape. Now, he's undersized, and he'll give up an occasional you know, play in coverage, but I love him as a number three, number four slot corner, and he's the best return specialist in this class. And that includes Britton Covey, who is outstanding out of Utah. We saw the, the, a 97-yard kick return for a touchdown that he had against Ohio State in that Rose Bowl. But Marcus Jones... Five interceptions this year. I think that was tied for the FBS lead. And then the return game, just pop, pop on a little bit of tape or Google him, you know, look it up online. Find some highlights of him in the return game. He's like a little flash. He's he just in and out of his breaks. He's so much fun to watch. So guys like that who are undersized, who don't get a lot of national attention, really get the spotlight on him in Mobile. And one other guy, Bailey Zappi. How about, we talked about the five quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl. And I, I – like I said, you never get the opportunity to see, you know, five of the six best quarterbacks, five of the six guys that are going to be drafted first in the in the draft at that position, all playing in Mobile, and that's what we're going to have with Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh, Liberty's uh, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati, Sam Howell, North Carolina, Carson Strong, Nevada, who's really flown under the radar, but is loaded with physical tools, including uh, size and the big time arm. 
But Bailey Zappi, how about a great opportunity that he has? You know, you come in with these, these other five guys that are going to be drafted in the first round or early in the second round. And Zappi, in my opinion, is more of a day three prospect. Some guys think he could be later day two. But regardless, I mean, he was playing at Houston Baptist just over a year ago. Transfers to Western Kentucky, put up phenomenal numbers. And it's kind of in that air raid system where he's getting the ball out and distributing it all over the field. I'm excited to see him when he's stacked against five other guys that belong in the first 50 picks of the draft. How does he perform? What's he got inside of him? And is is it too big the moment for him? Or is he going to come out and say, you know what, I got this and let's roll? One thing I think every fan base can look for in this senior bowl that's new and different for anyone that's not aware, while the Lions and the Jets coaching staffs will be coaching, the head coaches will be in an advisory capacity. So it's an opportunity for other people on the staff to step up and get some experience. A really cool way to keep an eye out on future prospects for head coaching positions, which so many fan bases are looking at now. Before we close this thing out with a new segment, we're excited about Mel. We're going to get your updated positional rankings. They're available today on ESPN+. And uh, first and Foremost, how difficult was it for you to put these rankings together? And give us a name or two that stood out in your updates. Yeah, it's never easy this early because there's so much work to be done. You know, I start this process basically in May. Todd comes out with his much too early Mach 1 in early May, and we're all around valuating players. That's all we do all summer. That's the time. That's kind of the downtime where Todd may be out playing golf, maybe out on his maybe jet skiing, but I'm here you know, crunching numbers and looking at tape. But yeah, and that's why I try to get that head start on everybody else, particularly McShay. But I think when you look at the guys that Kuiper, are I've seen you on a canoe, and I've seen, you, I've seen pictures of you cleaning that pool in the summer. Kim shows me some stuff you guys do in the summer. So don't get me going. That was a kayak, not a canoe, but we're okay. That was, that was the kayak days. I still have it. I got three of them sitting out there now, ready for some warm All weather. But I think Arnold Ebiquette will have, Todd will have him in his next mock. He will put Ebiquette, or he may just despite me not, okay? <laughs> One of those McShay stunts where he sees something I like. I'm not going to give Kuiper that until Mach 4.0. But Ebiquette from Penn State. Go with the spite angle, Well, buddy. Temple, we didn't dominate. He didn't dominate at Temple. Well, he did in 2020. He really came on. He had four sacks, eight and a half tackles for us, and three forced fumbles. This year, he was unblockable. He was flying off the edge. Highly productive player. Incredibly disruptive and versatile as well. Play up and play down. Arnold Ebiquete, he tests well. He's a guaranteed mid-first rounder. And I think you look at the Philadelphia Eagles have those three picks. They love pass rushers, rotating them in. That could be a good spot for him. Another player, Cameron Thomas from San Diego State, had a productive year for the Aztecs. Really like him in the late one, early two range. And I'll tell you what, you look at another player, and I'm going to go right to Damone Clark from LSU. Patrick Queen came out of this program a few years ago. He's with the Baltimore Ravens. Damone Clark had 135 tackles. He was getting sacks. He was good in coverage. He had tremendous range going from point A to point B in a blink. I thought about late one for him. I thought rankings-wise, let's put him in a nice spot where we can move him up as well. Damone Clark was really flying around. And I'll tell you, he could run for the clock really well. He should test out well athletically. When you put that and work that in conjunction with 15 and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, a couple forced fumbles, he had an interception. As I said, 135, 136 tackles, highly productive. You test well, you have the computer numbers to match the production. That's what excites these teams. That could put Clark, and don't be shocked if he's not in the late first-round range. And Todd stole my thunder on Marcus Jones. Hey, Everything Todd hey, said is 100% right. Hey, hey, fi- What's that, Todd? Fitz, uh, Fitz, let me explain something to you, all right? Because you're not, you're not stuck you with go. these two clowns every single week on the First Draft Podcast. This is called a, uh, cl- a classic Kuiper stunt, and he's got a bunch of them. 
But the number one stunt mm-hmm. on, on Kuiper's board of stunts is to see a player that I like in October, right? Ebiketti is a perfect example. Everyone was talking about, well, he's a third, fourth rounder. He's a nice player. I had him in the second round, okay? So he sees that and he's, well, now I got to make a splash. I got a better McShay. And so now he shoves him up in the top, what, 17, I think the 17th overall pick mid first round. He overcorrects his own market. And now you'll notice from this, I mean, market down in pen. From this point on, he'll start to trickle Ebiketti back a little bit. It's what he does. And they'll have him in the late first, right in that late first, early second range when, when the draft comes in late April. But this is what he does. He's trying, it's like that shock jock value he's trying to get. And he got it with Ebiketti. Congratulations, Kuiper. We're off to a fast start in the 2022 NFL draft process. Yeah, the first low blow from McShay, Jace. You got a lot of penalties coming against McShay for personal fouls between now and late April as well. You get a couple, you get thrown out of the game. But you already got one here. That's a low blow. I don't. Your second rounders. You got a lot of second rounders. Well, I picked them a cat day. I, I don't even know who you had in the second round. So you're you're you're. you're that's a big time look ahead there. But in terms of Ebiquette, let's write it in pen. And Jason, you look at you monitor where McShay has Ebiquette. He'll come along, and you monitor where I have him because it's not going to change. Okay, pass rushers aren't going to change. So he. T- now, if he doesn't test well, it will change. But if he tests well, okay, he's going to maintain that position. I can guarantee you can write that in pen, Todd. Okay, not pencil. Ebiketti. And to go back to Marcus Jones, who's interrupted me when I was getting, talking about Marcus Jones, he had a 100-yard interception return. He did a lot at Troy before he got to Houston. He was at Troy. He was a Sunbelt Conference player, the freshman of the year. He was returning kicks and punts for touchdowns. He did exactly that with the Houston Cougars, returning punts, kickoffs for touchdowns, breaking up pass. Passes, intercepting pass, had five interceptions this past year, 13 pass breakups, two kick return touchdowns, two punt return touchdowns. And Troy was phenomenal as well, great punt returner, great kick returner. He's 5'8", 185 pounds. I don't care. Look at him in coverage. He doesn't care if the guy's 6'3", he's blanketing that guy. He's sticky in coverage, and he doesn't interfere. He's not handsy. I love this kid. He probably will be a second-round pick. Cyrus Jones, when he came out of Alabama, Todd, where'd he go? Second round. Okay, I watched him play high school football at Gilman. I think he's better than Cyrus, and he's got that great return skills with Jones. I don't know he's better at that. He is the number one return man, and I did for the first time this year rank the top return men, and Marcus Jones is number one ahead of Britton Covey and the others you'll see on that list if you go to ESPN. ESPN.com today. So I'm with you. Marcus Jones is going to go in the second round. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And he is a outstanding foot pound for pound. I think he's one of the best players in this draft. Uh, Todd, any thoughts on this? Uh, I'm just babysitting at this point. I'm adding babysitter to my, my, my resume here. Like any thoughts on, on this one before we move on? Now, I'd like to know, you know, we're on positional rankings. Did Mel, because he talked to a couple guys in the league, just move up Malik Willis to his number one quarterback after telling him I was too hot, telling me, in, in October that I was too high on him and he, no way he's going to be the number one quarter. Well, give me your top five quarterbacks in your positional rankings, Kuiper. I will do that for you, Todd, because it's fluid. And that's why I said if you're stupid, and usually if you're stupid, you mm-hmm. are stubborn. Well, they kind of work hand in hand, stubborn and stupid, stupid and stubborn. So I don't think I've ever been stubborn, although you can argue that point. Once in a while, I guess I am, and that's stupid. So I have been stupid along the way over 45 years. You try to learn from that and not be as stupid. But I think when you look at where we are with the top five quarterbacks, I have right now Kenny Pickett. I've been saying, you jumped on that bandwagon after I did, so don't tell me that. I saw what you did with Pickett. You weren't as high on Pickett. Oh, please. I, Pickett. I was the first one on the Pickett bandwagon. Then came Malik Willis. Okay, number two. You're, You're exhausting. Rankings. Willis is two. Matt Corral is three. 
Desmond Ritter is four. Sam Howell is five. And I got Zip and Zappy in there right after Carson Strong from, from uh, Nevada. So I'm with you on Zip and Zappy. I wish the arm strength was a little bit better. He did a great job at Western Kentucky against Leicester competition coming from Houston Baptist. We'll see Senior Bowl week. Is he a poor man's Drew Brees? We'll see. Is he a guy that's going to be overwhelmed in the NFL with limited arm strength? No better than a career backup? We'll find that out. If he's a third-round pick, it's because the arm strength is better than advertised. If he's a late-round pick, it's because people have concerns about that as well. The most important thing that I have learned at this point, and this is this is just real, if we don't V Foundation sitting in a kayak with Mel Kuyper Jr. next year to get ready for the NFL draft, we are missing out on an opportunity. That's the hidden lead that we've gotten through all of this. Guys, let's move on to the spotlight. This is a chance for you guys to give a little bit of love to somebody that maybe hasn't gotten a ton of it, and that player that we're going to spotlight this week Kyler Gordon, cornerback out of Washington. Mel, what do you like about Kyler? I put him in the late first round. I'm oh, sorry, I think Todd. This kid was underrated. You yeah, I, I, I'll go first because he stole my Marcus Jones. I think he's underrated. Uh, Mc, Trent McDuffie gets a lot of love. <laughs> Trent McDuffie's a really good player at Washington. But Kyler Gordon Todd was under the radar, unheralded, and now he's getting some love. Like I said, I put him in the late first round of Mach 1.0. Fitz, you should have gone to me first here. Mel's ruining the whole thing. So we're going to do this every week. It's, we're going <laughs> to spotlight a couple players that are standing out on tape. They might not be first rounders. They may be third rounders or fifth, sixth rounders. We're going to get to a bunch of guys over the next, what, 10 10 or so weeks leading up to the draft. Kyler Gordon stood out to me because everyone's, you know, when you're watching tape on Washington's defense, everyone's talking about Trent McDuffie, and they should be the outstanding cornerback who, who's probably going to be the second, third, or fourth cornerback coming off the board. But Gordon really jumped out at me. He played a lot at nickel earlier in his career, but played outside this past year. Watch him on this route. Watch him read the route and run the route for this receiver against Cal. Not only does he diagnose the, the route that's happening, but then he gets his eyes back to the quarterback. I love that. You've got to have spatial awareness. You've got to be able to get your eyes off the receiver and over to the quarterback, and then watch him high point this football. When the ball's in the air, this guy believes that he's the receiver, that that ball is property to him. And that's what you see from so many of the great ones. This is the second pick that he had in this Cal game. Two interceptions, this is pick two. Again, high-pointing the ball and getting two feet in like he's in the NFL already. So we've got a great cornerback class. And Mel, I think you had five first-rounders in your recent mock draft. I, that won't surprise me at all. It may wind up being six. I think Gordon, as the process goes on, is really it's going to start to rise even more. I've got a second-round grade on him, or uh, uh, early second-round grade, I should say, just kind of outside the first round. I'm told by people at Washington he's going to put up explosive numbers and, you know, the 40-yard dash, the 10-yard split, the three-cone, the short shuttle, all the things you look for for that agility and explosive straight-line speed from corners. And Gordon has it. This year, I talked about the corners. you got Amar Gardner uh, from Cincinnati, Derek Stingley from LSU. As the top two guys, you can kind of debate that back and forth. Trent McDuffie, as I mentioned, uh, Gordon's teammate, is probably going to be the third cornerback taken. This is where Mel and I, after number three, kind of vary a little bit. I still like Roger McGreer. I thought he was outstanding in the SEC covering guys and taking them away one-on-one. -on -one. Andrew Booth is a great long athlete who had terrific play down, down the stretch. His best game of his career, I think, was against South Carolina. And then uh, Kair Elam is, is just a long press corner who's physical as well. And then Gordon, I've got in there at six. And honestly, it wouldn't shock me if we saw six corners in this loaded class go in the first round. 
All right, now Mel. Now Mel, you get to give us one of your players. Let's see who Mel's got on on, on tap for us. Oh, it's still time. It's still time. You know what? I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna forget that. You know what? You're setting me up to get destroyed by the show. I get where you're going here, man. You're throwing me to the wolves here. It's it's my first day on the job. You know, this is just what happens. All right. Actually, watching tape. All right, well, why don't you tell us yeah, who you've got next time? I did all that during the summer, by the way. Uh, by the way, I will give you a cornerback that I think yeah, is a exactly. little unheralded. Yeah. It's Cam Taylor Britt from Nebraska. But go ahead, Todd. Tell me about some other great safety in a weak safety class. All right, so show notes for next week. Don't let Kuiper ruin my, my spotlight film sessions with the audience because that's what's happening here. But we're going to get right back on track. Kirby Joseph, nobody knows that name. He played for Illinois. Illinois wasn't very good. He's a safety who just didn't get a lot of love until this season when he came out as a full-time starter and put it all together. I put on the first the first series of tape against Purdue, and this is the, one of the first plays I saw, bang, against a tight end. If you see this, and we're going to see a couple more highlights of it, what really impressed me was his eyes getting in position and then also knowing when to separate the receiver from the football. He doesn't go after the ball. He knows he's too late, but he's going to get there and, and separate the ball from the receiver. So that's, that's one of the first plays. The very next play, here he comes shot out of nowhere and just submarines the, the ball carrier. And he does it with, again, fast eyes getting in the position, getting over the top of that blocker, and then... I mean, he, he's going he's gonna to face up you, he's going to wrap you up, he's going to do all those things as a tackler, but he knows when he's got to go low and he's going to take out your legs with it. And then finally, the ball skills. Watch here, tipping the ball to himself in the back of the end zone. I just, I was so impressed with his body control, hand-eye coordination. There you see the interception, one of five that he had this past season. I, again, I think five was tied for the FBS uh, record this season, or, or the most in the FBS. And he was right there with the, the premier playmakers that we talked about. And again, look at those numbers. 57 total tax, uh, tackles. He had one sack. He'll play in the box, even though he's, he's only 6'1", around 200 pounds, and he's very active in run support. And then you look at him with all the safeties in this year's class, and it's another really good group. If you need a DB, this is your year. But we talked about Kyle Hamilton going forward to the Jets on, on Kuiper's uh, first, first mock draft. And Daxon Hill, I know Mel mentioned he wanted to slip him into the late first round range coming out of Michigan. Jalen Petrie is a stud. I'm going to spotlight him in the upcoming weeks in Baylor. Uh, Jaquan Brisker from Penn State. Lewisine from, from Georgia. And then I've got Kirby Joseph just behind those guys. I, it wouldn't shock me if he winds up in the second round, but whether it's round two or round three, I think a team's going to get a steal. They're going to get a starter and a playmaker on the back end. You buying it, Mel? I'm not buying this as a great safety class. I think in the early part of the draft, it is. The depth is lacking. Verone McKinley from Oregon, I've liked him all year. Nice player. I think there's some other guys. You got to see well, JoJo Doman from Nebraska, safety linebacker combo guy. But you're hard-pressed to come up with eight, nine, ten safeties that are going to go within the first, say, five, six rounds. So I think it is, like Todd said, it's high, high of the draft, top part of the draft, outstanding. I do like Jaquan Brisker at Penn State. I'm always big, big on, as Todd said, Daxton Hill. And there's a couple others. But if you can get eight, nine, ten, that you feel good about, I would say good luck. I think the depth at safety is lacking. Cornerback depth is outstanding. I mentioned Cam Taylor, Britt from Nebraska, a host of others as you can go up to ESPN.com. Actually, Todd loves this. This is another stunt, Jason, that he would say one of my stunt number three is when I have 10, I always go 10A, B, C, D, E. Okay, I'll add a few. I did that at cornerback this year because of the depth at that spot. 
here's the one thing I'm sure of, guys. In the spirit of the senior bowl, like, it's not always what you do with the first rep. It's what you do with the next one. The next time I get to run the spotlight, it will be flawless, Todd. I, I have failed you, but it will be flawless next time. I know. Uh, all right. Since I, I just mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned Todd, let, let, let's go. Any final thoughts now that you've heard everything Mel has to say? We're getting in this senior bowl spirit. Do you have a final thought you want to leave everybody with this week? I'm excited to be down in Mobile, Alabama. This, In all honesty, I've been going since uh, 1999. So do the math on that. This will be my 23rd Senior Bowl. Uh, ironically, I think I've seen Mel at one of them. But, uh, you know, you're there in spirit, Kuiper. I know, and you watch the tape, and I got it all. But what I love is it's not just the practices and obviously, you know, going through the, the day-to-day practices throughout the week. It's, it's at night going and, and meeting with friends in the league and talking and, and getting caught up and watching. I sit and watch tape in our hotel room and, and scouts will come in and, and we'll just kind of compare notes and go through players. So it's a fun week. It's a really productive week. And I'm excited for some of these small school guys to get an opportunity in one of the most, like I said, I don't think I've seen a roster more talented than this, this year's class, the 2022 Reese's Senior Bowl. I'll give them a shout out there. But I don't think I've seen a more talented group coming into a week. And I'm excited to see if it all lines up. And I'm excited to see some of these small school guys get a chance to go up against a ton of first, second, third round prospects. Melanie, closing thoughts for this week. Just so so McShane, just to bring McShane up to date, because he was probably, I don't know, in 1983, Todd, where were you? What grade were you in in 83? Educate me. I don't know what grade that was. That was Dan Uh, Marino. I'm six years old, buddy. All right, you were in kindergarten, okay, first grade. I was down at the Senior Bowl down in Mobile back in those years and uh, had a lot of fun down there, and I'll be watching. It's nice, Jace. He's watching tape, okay? I say, finally. Good job, Todd. Oh wow. wow! This is the this is just the level of love that I'm just honored to be there and, and hang out in. I've only been to the Senior Bowl once, but I I will acquiesce to everything you guys just said. It's an amazing, incredible experience and a great opportunity for these kids and these coaches. Uh, we'll obviously be catching you up on all of that, getting you ready for it next week. Plus, we'll be back on Thursday where we'll talk about this show and everything that's going on with the draft. And uh, it's available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Of course, uh, he's Mel Kiper Jr. I'm Todd McShay. I'm Todd McShay. He's Todd McShay. I'm Jason Fitz in for Field Yates. Thanks so much for hanging out with Everybody us. This has been shit. First Draft. Be sure, to ch- choose us. Be sure to check us out again next Monday as we are here every week, everywhere you stream ESPN, getting I you ready for the NFL Draft.